Welcome to Amplify, the Revolution Her podcast dedicated to uplifting, empowering, and amplifying women's voices globally. Our community is a fierce collective of women who are ready to live the lives they always dreamed they would. Together, our strength as a collective of inspiring and ambitious women is truly unstoppable. I'm Maria Locker, founder and CEO of Revolution Her. And I'm your co-host, Grace Moores, founding partner of Revolution Her. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Direct Sellers Association of Canada, the mark of trust and integrity for the direct selling industry. Always look for the DSA logo. Today, we're talking about battling imposter syndrome with Christine Whitfeld. Christine is the CEO of Chalk Couture, a revolutionary concept in easy DIY decor with products distributed by thousands of independent designers across the U.S. and Canada. During her career, Christine has been a film critic, publishing house president, advertising account manager, and an executive at several consumer goods brands. She elevates brands through connection to customer, authentic voice and positioning, and identifying and leveraging their unique leadership talents. We are going to talk about some incredible things today. Please help us welcome Christine Whitfeld. Hi, Christine. Hi. Hello. Maria. Hi, Grace. So good to be with you. Oh, we're we're excited to have you today. This is going to be lots of fun. So ready. Oh, and we are just big fans of Chalk Couture. So we're really excited to talk about it. And we're really just going to dive in with you. We want to know, I mean, it's relatively new business. Can you share yes. how your journey started with Chalk Couture and why a direct selling model? Oh, those are two independent and great questions. Um, first off, why the direct selling model? I'm going to take that one first. Sure. I think direct selling is um, a secret weapon for innovation. So it is where great ideas are often born. Um, so I love, I love the channel because it is often kind of a vanguard where you can look at where there's something new and truly revolutionary coming out. Chalk Couture is a category creator. Um, the, the product and the way that it exists now in easy DIY home decor did not exist before Chalk Couture. And there are a lot of direct sales companies that are the same way. They mm-hmm. put their product on the map. So even as products that become everyday used in, used in homes, Um, or that are even commoditized, a lot of them got their start in direct sales. So I love the channel because it's a great place for um, innovation and things that don't sit naturally on a shelf. When you're walking around a retail store, there are certain things like a toaster. A toaster can sit on a shelf and you can walk into a store and go, I know what to do with that. Mm. But for a product that needs to be demonstrated or explained or loved um, by an enthusiast to really make the connection to somebody else, that belongs in direct sales. And our product definitely fit that. Um, And then about me, how did I get connected with the product? Um, A little more than five years ago, about five and a half years ago, um, I have a dear, dear friend. He and I have worked at other companies before in the direct selling model. He called me up and he said, you're not going to believe this, but there is this extraordinary product. Again, it's all about where innovation gets born. Mm. Um, There's this extraordinary product that has been co-developed by these two moms in Salt Lake City, Utah, and they need help to bring it to market. And the direct sales model is perfect for it. You've done direct sales. I've done direct sales. They need help with people who understand 
the industry um, and making the connection to a field, putting together a compensation plan, right. making all the programs work. Um, how about it? And so we met with the two founders, these two extraordinary women who between them had eight children at the time. And were I think one was still in her twenties. One was just barely in her early thirties and they didn't have a lot of um, business experience, but they had this extraordinary passion and they had oodles of common sense. Um, and so the four of us sat down together and built a company. <laughs> so amazing. I, I love stories love like that, right? Finding that gap and really saying, I'm the one that's going to make something happen. Yeah. With it. Like, why oh. not me? Right. Yeah. Like to put yeah. up your hand and go, why not me? Why yeah. not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> no. And I love that Chaku tour now, you know, it's obviously, grown so much since that in since that development um can you talk a little bit about what it's like at Chakutour some of the numbers how big has it grown since then sure um now today we just hit our 5th year anniversary uh we launched on oh, July 1st 2017 well thanks it's our, mm-hmm. our it's a happy birthday to us um <laughs> and today we have tens of thousands of independent distributors across the US and Canada we are only in North America we we have kind of the um attitude right now nail it before we scale it but um other english speaking um markets we're looking at you uh whether it's <laughs> yeah. UK or Australia and New Zealand um we think that those areas we just love Chocotour like we do. Um, We are about 45 million in top line revenue. Um, Today we have about 150 full-time employees. Uh, When I started in um, in 2017, we worked in the back of a Planet Fitness gym. Um, They allowed us to use their treadmills and equipment for free. (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. We were just in the very, very back. You could hear like pump music and smell sweat back there. We were on a couple of like Mighty Light plastic tables. Um, We literally mixed paste in a KitchenAid sized mixer. Um, And today we mix it in a high sheer 50 gallon drum, you know, with thousands of jars produced a day. But back in the day, we were hand spooning um, washable chalkology paste into little three ounce jars and putting on the lids by hand yeah. and putting them on little uh, on cookie sheets and moving them into the back of our little wow. office in the, in the planet fitness warehouse. And honestly, I have a lot of warm nostalgia for those days. We did everything. Yeah. I was, I, I became, I, I started as a contractor and became the, the chief executive officer within about six months, but it, it, we were all CEOs as in um, yeah. chief everything officers, right? Like we yeah. literally, everybody, <laughs> every, my first full day in the office, I picked orders in the warehouse all day. I showed up like in a business suit and I was like, well, <laughs> I better take this off because we're picking orders all day. It was awesome. Yeah. And it's been awesome since. Isn't that the oh, best way awesome. though? You know, yeah. every aspect of the company. Yes. And- you get yeah. to know immediately what's selling. What do people want? What do we need to do better? How do we put yeah. things closer together that are the top sellers so that you don't have to walk from one end of the warehouse to the other end of the warehouse to put them yeah. in the same box? <laughs> Amazing. That's awesome. That's that's awesome. I love I love stories like that. It's because it just shows you how raw and how exciting and just everything is. So um, so I love it. But today we are talking about imposter syndrome and battling that imposter syndrome, and we all think we're doing it alone. We all think we're the only ones that are experiencing imposter syndrome, but we're not. We're we're all guilty of it. So how do we overcome it? Well, I think first of all that isolation is part of the lie. 
right? Um, Everybody else is more qualified than I am. And so let me give you a little bit of context um, by way of answering that question. Um, When I went to university, I majored majored in English um, because I love to read, I love to write, and I love to speak. And that was my entire motivation. I love the power of language and words. And I figured I may not even have a job afterward. Maybe I will just read Shakespeare to my kids. Um, And then I graduated single and super motivated and with a lot of energy. And I thought I better get out there and get myself a job, but I'm just going to do this for a little while. I'm going to do this a little while until I get married until, you know, those cute little kids and maybe a collie dog come Mm -hmm. along. And, and that's awesome. And ultimately I did get married and I had wonderful children and I kept working, telling myself, well, at some point I'm going to stay home. We just need to make sure that we've got squared away the down payment on a house, or I've got to get this squared away. Um, And all along, I kept telling myself, this is kind of where I belong. I mean, I have an English degree. I can recite Chaucer. Um, I I love, I love the beauty of words. Um, And then I had been working, we had three children um, and I had been working for 12 years. And my husband sat me down and said, we need to have a hard conversation. Um, And I said, about what? (laughs) And he said, you and I are both working like crazy. Um, We used to joke our youngest child, we called him Baton, because all we ever did was pass him back and forth. (laughs) We'd meet in the driveway and here, you take the baby and I'm going to go work. And he said, let's, let's be honest about a few things. He said, "Um, you have more passion for your work than I do. Um, You earn more money than I do. Um, And you have a clearer trajectory in your career path than I do. Now, mind you, um, we had made the decision together that he would get the MBA, not me. And he did. And we were paying down his student loans. And and he said, you know, um, if you and I both believe that somebody should be more available to the kids, then it should be me who steps down and not you. And it rocked my world. Mm. I thought, no, 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 wait, I'm just this person who's sort of helping and chipping away at things. And it was a wonderful um, eye opener. And here's the statement that he said to me that helped me, me personally, um, overcome my own imposter syndrome that I'd been laboring in for 12 years as I was just kind of, well, I'm helping, but but he's the man. And at some point I'm going to step back and, and, and do other things. He said, Christine, um, you have taken jobs that I never would have taken. And you have been promoted to jobs that I could never get. Hmm. And I had to think about that because I realized that in not putting pressure on myself to ultimately be the lifetime provider, I took jobs that were fun not that made sense. I took jobs that I was good at and that I could give a big swing to because I didn't feel like I had the risk. And as a consequence, hmm. I kept getting better and better and better at them. And so I think one of the one of the ways that um, you overcome imposter syndrome is by realizing when you do something that you are passionate about, you're already winning. You are already winning. And it wasn't for me, it really wasn't about I need to take a job as an accountant, or I need to take this job that has this certain salary. It was, this looks interesting, or I have a passion about it. Um, And for me, that was always direct sales. I love direct sales because I do believe that it caters to allowing women a great path for success. There is zero glass ceiling. um, And, and 
direct sales is, is run by, for, and about women. I love men, a few great, wonderful men. Some of my most amazing partners have been men. I've known extraordinary standout leaders in the field who are men. Um, but if you want to find your passion and work it in your own way, essentially taking a job that maybe somebody else would never take and getting promoted to a job that somebody else couldn't get, this is, this is the way. And so I think um, overcoming imposter syndrome started for me on that journey and also having a really great partner and a husband who was pointing it out to me, uh, duh, you're doing great things. I'll be the one to stay home with the kids or to work part-time or to allow you to have um, a, a bigger runway. I'm really grateful for that conversation. Oh, and yeah. you don't wow. hear that as often as really you should, right? So we're going to yeah. send a special shout out to your husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of times, especially in talking with the women in our community, you know, there's been times where women have broken down and cried to us that, you know, their spouses don't take what they want to do seriously, especially as solopreneurs, yeah. if they're in that small business world, um, women in direct sales, you know, it's just a lot of times they're not taken seriously. And so yeah. to have that support, you know, no matter where you get that support from, a lot of times we're the ones giving that support to our community, but to know Agreed. that you had that at home is so powerful. You must see a lot of that too, within the I world think of so. Sales. I think that's, so as we look at, I feel like part of my Honestly, part of my calling on earth is to help other women overcome imposter syndrome. And, um, and here are a couple of ways that they do it. First of all, by connecting with a community of other like-minded people, men or women. Um, and that's another thing that direct sales affords. Uh, whether you are passionate about candles or jewelry or makeup or creating at Chalk Couture, you're going to find somebody who shares that passion, that passion for a product. Um, and often direct sales both is very connected and very isolating. You're on your own. You are a solopreneur. You're working from your basement or from your home. And the way to not get in your own head is by to connect with the community on Facebook um, that is part of your company. So we do have Facebook groups where men and women alike can ask each other questions and can get out of their own head. I also think that you see um, enormous uh, overcoming of imposter syndrome in direct sales because these are men and women who say, I think I can start a business selling cute crafty things from my house. Mm -hmm. Whereas anybody else would say, that's such a dumb idea. That can't possibly be a thing. And then you look at people who do, who do, and who have the freedom and the flexibility that they want. And whether they're earning $200 a month and being able to pay for karate lessons and piano lessons for their kids, and that's perfect, mm -hmm. or whether they're earning $2,000 a month um, to know that that is, that that is feasible with yeah, a yeah. very minimal investment it takes somebody who can overcome imposter syndrome to recognize that that's, that that's possible. And I think that um, people who are drawn to direct sales tend to be naturally optimistic people. And that doesn't mean that they're Pollyanna people um, in any way, shape or form, right. but it means that they, um, they, they believe that their world is the best possible world. They believe that people are inherently good and are going to be interested in what they have to, to offer. And they believe that success is possible. And that's why you see people who sell ribbon or scrapbooking supplies and they can earn a trip on that. Right. And you're like, that takes an extraordinary person. It really doesn't. It takes somebody who's like, who answers the question, why not me? Yeah. Why, why not all yeah. of us? And loves what yeah. they do. Right. Yeah. I, 
I remember when I stumbled on Pampered Chef and for me, it was one of those things where, of course, I'm Italian. I love to cook. These things make sense to me. And so when you, when you do something you love, I mean, that was quite a long time ago. And, but now, you know, a lot of those skills that I learned from being a consultant way, you know, I had a, a little, little two-year-old and a baby, um, those skills stay with you. That, that idea of going for an ask and being prepared to hear a no and kind of shielding yourself against a no, I found that really helped with imposter syndrome. Um, you know, what's that like when you're working with mostly women who need to kind of build that resilience up? Is that part of the training process? I think it, if, if it isn't, it has to be. Um, I, I'm a big believer in that idea of go for no. Um, and that that's part of progress. What did, what did, uh, uh, Thomas Edison say? He didn't discover the, the light bulb. He discovered, you know, 999 ways that it wouldn't work. And that's what enabled what did. And I love that. I'm, I'm also a big, big fan of um, Dr. Dweck's uh, research on mindset, which yeah. says if we allow ourselves to see failure as part of the process, rather than as something we have to be embarrassed about, or we have to hide it, that's what gives us imposter syndrome right there, is that when we fail, we think we're broken, wrong, or stupid. And we see all these people succeeding, and they're beautiful, and they're thin, and they have these great families, and they do these awesome Awesome things on social media. We think I'm not that. So if I'm failing, if I had a really awkward presentation, or if I had a Facebook live and zero people watched, I don't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I wish that we could get in a place where whether we're direct sellers or as parents, particularly, we could celebrate that um, because it means we, we learned something. I always am telling my kids, you either win or you learn. Um, because, and I have one, one of my children is very, very protective of himself. He doesn't, and, and it actually limits his teachability truly because he he's always like, mom, 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 I got it. I, I know how to do this. And the truth is he doesn't. Um, yeah, and I, I have one of those too. And, do you? Me too. It's, it, me too. Saying, like, Son, like, please, it's, it's I know, okay. Just like, take a bit more risk. Yeah, yes. You can do take way the more risk than you think raise you're your hand. Of. Tell your teacher. Yeah. I don't understand. Your teacher is literally paid to teach you. When you sit there and you look like you know all the answers, you're actually going to fall further behind because the teacher doesn't think you need help. People will race to your aid when you acknowledge, boy, that was a disaster. How do I do it better? Um, And so I just, I wish that we would give each other not only permission to fail, but that we would celebrate it. Like, go you, way to show up anyway. Like that was a hot disaster. Good job, you know? Yeah, I love it. (laughs) But it's so true. And I love it too. It's so true. Like we need to, you know, it's, oh, I love it. Everything about what you just said. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. No, we all needed to hear that. We want to, we want to show up great. Um, and I think that, um, part of the greatness too, especially in direct sales, if you really want to show people that you are in, in one of my past businesses, I had a top leader who was extraordinary and she was also a hot mess. She would show up to, uh, like a women's expo and she'd be wearing one blue shoe and one black shoe. And she'd be like, I don't know. I just fell out of my you know, closet this morning. And she always used to laugh. Hey, I'm duplicatable. And I think there's something really real about that. She was so accessible and so real. And every time that she had a crafting fail or a leadership faux pas, she would abundantly share it. 
And she had one of the largest, happiest, healthiest teams of the company because people were like, oh, if she can be successful, so can I. Yeah, It's yeah. so much more relatable than when you're trying yeah. to emulate perfection and people are like, that looks hard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're all, we're all, it's that shame, isn't it? That shame of failure. We need to get rid of it. It's, it's, um, we need to embrace it and show that it's normal and that you're going to actually learn something from it. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I think it, but can it can actually enance your credibility too as well. Yeah, absolutely. Not only, I mean, if, if you are willing to acknowledge the things that you don't know, mm-hmm. then yeah. the things that you do know stand out in even sharper contrast. I, um, I was interviewing an IT developer years ago um, for an IT developer position, and I had a candidate come in and I asked them to rate themselves on a scale of one to five of proficiency on a variety of different platforms and languages, you know, PHP and C++ and Java and what their CSS experience had been and HTML and everything like this. And I interviewed one candidate and he just responded five, five five to everything that I asked. And I thanked him. And then I interviewed another candidate and she came in and said, um, well, I'm great with PHP. I'm like a six plus on this, on that. I'm probably a two. I'm a pretty fast learner. So if that's important to you, I can learn it. I totally hired her because I felt like everything that she had rated herself high on I knew I could count on. Um, I don't believe that everybody is perfect on everything. And I'm sure he was just trying to show up well for the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, what he did was he showed up false. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I'm like, gosh, your credibility will rise if you are willing to show the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. I love It's so that. true though. And you know what? It, it's, it's something that I think we all need to learn a little bit more. Yeah. Um, is just being that vulnerable, authentic version of yourself. Uh, you know, we're talking about doing things that you're passionate about. We're talking about getting rid of imposter syndrome. That really creeps in because you're setting yourself to an expectation that maybe isn't even real, right? So yeah. I love that we're having this full conversation about uh, all the different ways we can do this. Now, one of the things I'd love to talk about is missed opportunities. So whether it's because of imposter syndrome or just that idea that maybe you're not deserving of something, going after the life you want is something we all can and should aspire to. What are some tips you could share on missed opportunities that maybe you see other people leaving on the table? Oh, that's awesome. Um, I think they, I think they tie back to some of the things that, that we've already touched on. And that is, I have got a good thing now. If I ask for more, I'm going to mess that up. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes we are afraid to ask for things like an increase in pay or a more flexible schedule. Um, and then because we're, we're so afraid that it's, uh, it's about us. And I think that, that the biggest missed opportunities are showing how it can benefit people around us as well. So as an example, in terms of like hybrid schedules, for example, um, even before the pandemic, um, I, as the CEO, asked to work from home 
two days a week. I work remotely on Tuesdays and Fridays and encourage a number of my team members to do so. And that was very counterintuitive even five years ago. Now we're all working remotely and much yeah. more comfortable with hybrid schedules and being wherever we are to, to get our work done. Um, but at the time, even our board was like, that's weird, you know, that we <laughs> want to be a CEO. And I'm like, I promise you though, because it allows me to do both things. It's not just for me. It is for me, but it, I promise this is how it's going to play out for the company as well. You're going to get somebody who on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays is in office and really available for all of these meetings and great FaceTime. And on Tuesdays and Fridays, those are strategy, analysis. Those are deep dives. Those are Q2, that quadrant two of, you know, the quadrant of quality if you're a Stephen Covey follower. Um, And I believe that it's also helped our whole organization. So I think where are there missed opportunities? There are missed opportunities when we are fearful to ask for something that seems like it's just about us. And we haven't done a good enough job of thinking about how it can actually benefit everyone else. Um, I also think that there are missed opportunities um, when we, when we are uh, uh, afraid of the outcome. So mm-hmm. I, I really believe, I, I don't know how to phrase this. That's why I'm stumbling a little bit. Sometimes I think we're afraid of what if it works? What if it works? Yes. What if I am super successful? And then more people are looking at me. There is something comfortable about flying just a little bit below the radar. Um, and when we do something great big, we become more visible. We become more vulnerable. We are worried that our neighbors, our family, our friends might look at us differently. Um, and so I think we also have to be um, unapologetic and unafraid of what success looks like. It is a lot easier to um, just try a little bit. I, I, I look at it as like somebody told me once upon a time, I've, I've been a long time runner and I'm going to use that in quotes. I'm doing air quotes right now. I've been a <laughs> runner um, and I run kind of uh, peripatetically and I sort of enjoy it and I can run a 10K um, pretty comfortably. And I have a sister-in-law who competes in Ironmans and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Like legit full Ironmans, the full meal deal. And I said to her, I'm I'm a good runner, but, and I'm physically fit and I'm physically active. So that's enough. And she says, you know, Christine, if you can run a 10 K, you can run a marathon. Like your body can do it. It's just, Mm. it's just more of the same, but if you've already trained to that level and it really got into my head. And I think many of us tell ourselves, well, I'm doing enough. I can run the 10 K of life. And we look at people who are doing an Ironman and you you think, well, I can't do that. They're wired with something better than I am. When Mm -hmm. in truth, we just don't want to push ourselves to the next level because it requires getting out of our comfort zone. And it was really interesting for my sister to say, if you can do this, you already have everything to do the other thing. You just don't, you just don't want to put yourself out there and do it and prove to yourself you can do it. Interesting. (laughs) So did you do an Ironman? I have never done an Ironman, but I have since run the, I, I've never competed in a full marathon. Again, I, I've got to get over my own self to do it, wow. but I can run the full, the full 26.2. I can run Amazing. the full marathon distance and have done it myself. But now I now, so now you need to challenge me next step. <laughs> yeah. Do it with other people with a, with a number sign on your chest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's amazing. It though. Is. It's. It's that accountability, isn't it? To encourage yes. you sometimes to, to keep going. So I think uh, you just hit it. Um, when we swing big, when we step up into a big league, 
there's accountability, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's sometimes the thing that we're afraid of is when we say something out loud, people are going to hold us to it. And we have to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's that mindset piece. We've been talking a lot about mindset and mindfulness and really just being intentional with actions. And yeah. I-, I love that, you know, those missed opportunities are often things that you don't even really realize sometimes you know, you're yeah. holding yourself back sometimes. Oh yeah. And yeah. I think honestly, to me, the the biggest missed opportunity is um, this, this is not about business. This is just life. I think we miss a lot of opportunities to be kind to each other. Um, we're so busy and the, the pandemic really isolated us and shut us down and physically, literally separated us from other people. Um, but my gosh, I think we um, underestimate how far a smile can go or a, mm-hmm. a kind word can go. Um, I love the saying, never suppress a generous thought. And if there's one thing that I would hope people would take away from, if you want to overcome imposter syndrome, that the counter to it is to be authentic. And so when we have those thoughts to see someone in a supermarket and to say a kind word to them or to let them go in front of us, act on that. I, I, I don't know about you, but some of those have nagged me. I, I was in a, a, supermarket not too long ago. And there was a woman in front of me checking out who had the most beautiful hair. And she was wrestling with two um, small children, a toddler and a baby. And she was clearly really frazzled. And I'm standing in back of her looking at her hair. And I kept thinking, you should say something about how beautiful her hair is. And then I immediately checked myself, missed opportunity. I was like, that's stupid. Like she is trying to do something totally other. You're Mm -hmm. this older lady standing behind her, like, this is, it's dumb. And she ultimately checked out and left the supermarket with her cart and her children. And I was paying for my groceries and it nagged at me. It nagged and nagged at me. You could have brightened her day. You could have made her uh, just have a little bit better, a better day. She was clearly stressed. Um, And I thought, well, that's just dumb. And then I wheeled my cart out to my car and she happened to be parked in the stall next to me and was still unloading her groceries. And I was like, okay, this is divine intervention. I'm supposed to say something. And so I did. And I, and it felt awesome for me. I just turned to her and I said, I'm sorry, you do not know me. You were in front of me in line. I just wanted to let you know, you have beautiful hair. She started to cry. She goes, today has just been the worst day. My kids are completely out of control. I did not have the money to buy all the groceries that I needed to just have you see me um, and pay me a compliment. She's like, you have no idea how much that means. I like got in my car and just sat there and literally was like, thank you, Lord, for giving me a second chance to close on that Mm -hmm. missed opportunity. I am so grateful. And it did not just make her day better. Like I just sat there and I was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making me an instrument in somebody's life better. That's the biggest missed opportunity is why do we not just speak up, speak up and say things to people around us? Like, thank you for your kindness. And what a cute dog you have. Like we are just craving and it's such a simple, oh, like yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Anyone who knows her knows that I'm an <laughs> yeah, easy Maria's crying. crying. Maria, you're crying. Stop it. <laughs> oh, no, she's a crier. I Everybody knows she's crying. But I just, but you, you know, it, you see those things happen and you just think, oh gosh, like it's what you said. Yeah. It not only makes someone else's day, it fills your own cup and so the more much. we can do it, right? Those random acts of kindness. I am all about those. So, yeah. um, 
I'm going to remember that story. That was lovely. But I, <laughs> I loved your, I loved your, I'm going to go back to what you said previously too, in terms mm. of, you know, when you're asking for things, because I think that is really, really key. If you are asking for that promotion or if you're asking for that, um, that pay rise to I, what you said was really important in terms of let them know what the benefit is to them. So if you are bringing in a certain amount of money with what you're doing, show them, identify the fact that you're, you know, you've done this project and you were able to help increase their revenue by X amount. Like we we need to, as women, do more to show our value and our worth and that we're deserving of these, um, of what we're asking for. So I I just wanted to come back and circle on that because I think that's really key too. Awesome. Yeah, I think you just said even like your value as women and you know that's I, I love that the three of us are talking about this um I love being a woman I love being yeah. a woman in charge I love being a mother I love being a wife I love being a friend I think it is I truly believe it is an extraordinary time to be a woman and to be unapologetic about the choices that we're making um, and the difference that we're having, I think for a long time, um, women and men too have had to um, advocate for us and with us. And I think that that is really starting to evolve. Mm-hmm. I feel more on a level playing field as a human um, and not just as a woman. I, I, lo- I know yes. that this podcast is Revolution Her. We are about and for women. Um but I love that we are getting to a place where we acknowledge each other um, as equals. It is it is a different day that the, the 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 career and the spot that I'm in now is so different than when I entered the workforce in 1990. And I yeah. am so grateful to have been a part of this not just revolution her but evolution her. It's yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. we're in a good. Yeah. I mean, you see a lot that's happening around us socially uh, on a global level. I know you're in the U.S. in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. Um, We're here in Canada and you're just seeing, you know, women, there is this uprising, it feels like, where there is unapologetic, you know, we're ready to kind of take the place that women need to have. And, And I love that you brought up men because we do need allies in that fight. We need to collectively say as human beings this is where we need to head. Equality is meant for all, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your gender, regardless of your lifestyle choices. Um, And we are true believers that, you know, as women together, we can really make a path and make that rising. I love that it's becoming, I think um, I have a 30 year old daughter um, and I love the work world and the world that she's living in. And I, I like to think that me and her dad, um, me as a working mom and her dad as a stay at home parent kind of paved the way for people to choose the path that is right for them without judgment. Um, whether you become a CEO, whether you become a partner, whether you become, um, whether you have children or don't, um, that we, we find value in what we do and that it's competency-based. And that's why I think I, I started this discussion by saying, choose choose the thing you love. Um, when we choose the, the passion that we have 
rather than even the role that we think is ascribed to us. And not that the two can't be the same. Um, if, if your passion is a traditional one, by all means, embrace it. But when you follow something that is genuinely your passion, you will succeed because the cream rises to the top. If you are laboring in something that is not your jam or that you were not meant to do, whatever it is, you might be okay at best at it. Um, but I don't know that you'll ever really win at it. I don't know that you'll ever love, love what you do. Mm -hmm. And I would rather love what I do. And again, I'm not talking about financial compensation. I'm just talking about peace in the path. We all want peace in the path. Um, and we've got to, first of all, get rid of whatever the notions are that are holding us back because it's not about people today. It's not, I, I, I don't think this is a, a men versus women or yeah. an us versus them. It's largely um, an us versus ourselves. What baggage do we bring to our path that we need to chuck off the train um, to get it moving faster? Hmm. Yeah. Wow, and it's interesting you say that because it's more, the more we can see women doing, taking the roles in leadership and doing the things that where there's not been women or or any diversity in terms of um, taking on these roles, we're then planting that seed for women to and everybody to think, yes, I can do that too. So it's, as you say, like as you said with, with your evolution. daughter in terms of you're planting the seed. So we just need to keep being active and keep doing stuff and keep making steps forward so that we can inspire that generation behind us to, yeah. to overtake us and keep moving forward like that yeah. train that you that you talked yeah. about. Yeah, so, and I um, think, you know, I, that's why I said I, I started my journey majoring in English because I thought, well, maybe I'll read Shakespeare to my kids. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I realized is that, you know, I unapologetically, I have an English degree. It now enables me to um, answer a hundred emails a day before I go to bed because I can digest large that all that Chaucer and Shakespeare helped me digest <laughs> lots and lots of information really quickly and turn it around and respond to it. Yeah. Um, the yeah. ability to read, write and speak. I now do presentations to the field or to our board of directors. And so those skills that I thought were going to serve some sort of convention have actually come to a less traditional, but much more fulfilling path yeah. for me. When my daughter um, looked at starting university, she also loves to read, write and speak. And I was like, choose English. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> English. And she actually said, mom, I think I, I think my bigger passion is numbers. And I was like, what? <laughs> Who are you? How did I? Be? And so she pursued and has today a master's degree, but she pursued a degree in mathematics. Um, again, very non-traditional and atypical, but she's like, I'm wired to be more analytical. And today Amazing. she puts her mathematics degrees to, to good use. Um, and that is her passion and her path. And I didn't feel a need to shoehorn her into something, quote unquote, more traditional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it's so yeah, true. Sure. Um, so my husband and I both have um, our Bachelor of Arts in English. And it's so Yay! funny because I, I do. I, I ended up becoming a teacher, but I do talk about it all the time that those transferable skills, right? It's that growth of knowledge. It's not the particular knowledge. It's the growth of your mind and the openness that you are to um, different ideas. So I love, yes. I love that you're able to talk about English that. majors unite. Maria. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this uh, somehow we're at the rapid fire component because you've just touched on so many incredible. I know you've been awesome. It's oh, been 
great okay. so many sound Me bites too. in terms of of what you've expressed and what you've covered it's been yes. so many great takeaways so uh Thank you. thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you both. This is a All blast. right. Okay. I don't know what rapid fire looks like, but I'm ready. You're ready. Okay. I'm ready. So, <laughs> <laughs> we promise it's nothing too intense. But it's like just fun. Throw a couple things your way. So the first song, uh, the first song, oh gosh, not a thong. The first thing. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't throw thongs at me. No, I won't. I promise. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to ask you this one. Oh, what's one tradition that you remember from being younger that you'd love to pass down and you hope your children will have? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, We always did something as a kid and I do it now with my children and it's a, we call it a family reunion, but it's just my immediate family. It's my husband, me and our three kids. And it was my, my mom, my dad and their three kids. In fact, one of my coworkers said, why do you call this a family reunion when it's just I know, I just about to say this But we call it a family reunion because um, we always go, we, we, we go every single summer. We just went last week, just for a weekend. We go to a small um, condo on the lake, Bear Lake in Bear Lake, Utah, Garden City, Utah, where we spend three days and there's, there's no internet. Um, and we're in a tiny little one bedroom cabin. Wow. And so we call it a family reunion because it forces us to be right together. We literally sit around a table and we play Scrabble and the game of things. And we play Yahtzee and we play Settlers and Five Crowns for like 10, 12 hours a day. We <laughs> roast marshmallows and hot dogs on the beach. Um and we call it a family reunion because there's there's no work and we're unplugged and there's no Netflix and there's no Facebook. There's very little of anything. There actually is the best, the best internet connection you can get is when you're on the boat on the lake, but there isn't any. <laughs> and um, I, I love that because um, my, my daughter actually said to me this weekend, she said, this, this is my favorite weekend of the year. And I think we do, we do a lot as a family. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter and I went to London for vacation and we do a lot of different, exciting, fun, traditional things. Um, but what I love and what I hope I pass down to my children is an unplugged weekend where nobody's wearing makeup, everyone's in stretchy pants, and we're just sitting in a small room together talking about the things that matter. I love that. Oh, I love that. I might steal that, Christine. (laughs) Just like two nights, one shower, one bed, one bathroom, one bedroom. We're all just sort of on couches and, and it's our family reunion with five of us. (laughs) Family reunion. I love it. All right. It's Grace's turn. Okay. Uh, Do you have a theme song? Ooh, if I did, it would have originated in, um, oh, this is going to date me. In 1985, I graduated from high school in 1985, and there was an album by Howard Jones, who I love. It's going to show how old I am, um, called Dream Into Action. And there is a song on there that Howard Jones is super well known for called No One Is to Blame. Um, Oh, and I love the song by Howard Jones, No One Is to Blame, because um, again, this is overly self-revelatory. When I graduated from high school, I was the salutatorian, not the valedictorian, but I was the salutatorian of the high school. So I was very perfectionistic, very driven. Um, and I also weighed 89 pounds. I'm five foot nine and had struggled with anorexia my whole senior year, um, largely out of a sense of low self-esteem and worthlessness and imposter syndrome to the max. 
Um, and somebody gave me that album on vinyl as a graduation present. And I listened to it the day after um, graduation. And that song spoke to me. The very first line in the song is, um, I might cry. The very first song line of the song is, you can look at the menu, but you just can't eat. Um, and as a girl who is literally starving for attention, that song spoke to me. And the song is essentially about life is hard. And there are a lot of things that happen and no one is to blame, but I see you and I know you and I'm here for you and things are going to work out. And when I listen to that song as an 18 year old with that very first line being, you can look at the menu, but you just can't eat. Um, it was, it sort of became my song ever since. And so yeah. that's like 40 years ago, Wow! but I still love what that song means. Amazing. Oh. Welcome to thank the cry call. <laughs> that was very, thank you for, for being open and sharing that. I, I didn't know that was Howard Jones. So now I need to go add that. Everybody needs to go listen to no one is to blame one more time. I That's love that. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was, wow. a, that was a very strong story. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm going to shake it up a little bit. Okay, um, do it. I'd love to know what scares you. Um, literally what scares me are clowns and dark water. Okay. <laughs> I hate open water. Anybody knows this about me? Like I hate swimming in the ocean. Um, that sort of thing totally scares me to death. So that's kind of the funny side. I'm, I'm, I think clowns, I don't know why clowns are funny. I think they're terrifying. Yeah, Stephen I'm King you. got it right in it. They're horrifying. Um, so clowns scare me. Open water scares me. I always think that there are, there are dead things. There are crazy sea creatures it's in water. open water. Yeah. My daughter's Humans the do same. not belong swimming in there. Um, <laughs> on, a, on a more serious note, I think, um, I am afraid of, um, uh, I, I have a security phobia. So I am, I am very worried about security, which I think has always made me hustle a little harder than, than everyone else. I am very worried. Like, will I be eating cat food when I'm 70? That's one of the things that keeps me up at night. And I know logically that I won't, I have this amazing partner. I have these three great kids. I have a wonderful extended family. Um, but for me, um, a fear of insecurity has actually been mighty fuel to get my butt up and moving yeah. every day. Yeah, <laughs> it's wow. a good, it's a good motivator, right? Yeah, yeah. unlike clowns, which I just avoid. <laughs> yeah, we're with you. Don't worry. But that's a good motivator oh. too. Yeah. <laughs> All um, right. Okay. I my question in terms of um, I want to talk about travel. Where would you love to go? Where's next on your on your bucket list. Ooh, so my, my favorite city in the world is London. And that's, that's why oh, I took my daughter um, just I'm two going weeks ago. <gasps> love, love, love London. It's, it's my favorite city in the world. I think it's clean, it's navigable, it's historical, it's modern. Um, whether you love uh, crazy uh, things like Jack the Ripper or Harry Potter or Sherlock Holmes yeah. or Downton Abbey or, you know, whatever, whatever you love. Yeah. Um, Ted Lasso, you can find it in London. Um, but my, on my bucket list is Prague. I've always wanted oh. to go to Prague and I'm going in about three weeks <gasps> with some of our top leaders who earn a trip to Vienna and Prague and I get to accompany them. Oh, so bucket list you... almost checked. I'm, oh. do you see, I made 
a pun. I didn't mean it. Almost checked. Almost checked. Get it? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Vienna. It is stunning. And actually, I think Vienna was just named as the number one best place to visit in the entire world. Really? For- okay. Yeah. Well, we'll connect yeah. on it afterward. I'll give you oh, my note. I've yeah. never been. And so I'm Prague excited. is amazing. You will love it in terms of the history and the architecture. It's just. Oh, it's- yeah. Yeah, yeah, give I'm me a museum over a beach any day. Again, because yeah. beaches, dark water, dead things yeah. in the water. Yeah, but yeah. history, <laughs> museums, great architecture, a castle to yeah. wander around in the yeah. afternoon. Woo. Oh, that's you're all about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you'd yeah. be fun to go away with. Christine, live vicariously for us <laughs> a little too. bit. Yes. <laughs> This yeah. has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad we got to chat about all things women and work and leadership and and really getting past that imposter syndrome. Um, you've given such incredibly inspiring tips to our listeners today. So for everyone out there, please make sure uh, sure you go find out more about Christine. Check out Chalk Couture. Um, you know, there's so much that you can learn, and we really hope you were inspired today. Christine, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself with ourselves. And our listeners, we just, this was lovely. We loved it. It was amazing. This has been a delightful way to start a day. Agreed. We're so grateful for you being here. (laughs) Thank you very, very much. Uh, And so for everyone out there, please make sure to tune in again soon. We hope that this inspired you today. And if it did, please feel free to leave a review, rate us, and of course, share with some other women that you think this will brighten their day as well. And until next time, we can't wait to talk to you again soon. Bye, everybody. Bye.